everybody, this is Evan Lazar, and welcome to the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by the CLNS Media Podcast Network. Today I am joined by a very special guest. It is Ben Baldwin from the Seattle Athletic. Ben, I can't thank you enough for coming on. He knows just about everything about the Seahawks, and also knows a thing or two about analytics as well. Uh, ben, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's there's nothing quite like um, preparing to watch one's team play on Sunday night, and this is uh, just such an interesting, fascinating matchup in Week 2, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Absolutely, and you know, every single time these two teams come together, I won't remind you of the Super Bowl. Oops, <laughs> I did. But in 2012, 2014 Super Bowl, 2016, that I believe was a Sunday nighter as well in Foxborough, and now we're back in 2020, obviously in Seattle. It's a great game every single time these two teams come together. I, I don't know what's in the water when it's in Seattle or if it's in Foxborough, but when these two teams play, we seem to get an absolute great game or an all-time game, really. Yeah, the whole Russell Wilson era has been very close down to the wire games. The the kind of the game that put Russell Wilson on the map in the first place was the the Patriots yeah. playing in Seattle in 2012, and they were down. I think it was 13 points in the fourth quarter and had two late touchdowns to come back and win it. And then ever since then, the Seahawks have been kind of the the Seahawks that we know. Exactly the you mad bro game, right? That was yep. Richard Sherman yep. getting, getting into Tom Brady's face, and yep. we'll never forget that one. But I wanted to talk to you about a few big picture Patriots things first. For you, those of you that don't know, Ben has a great database that keeps track of things like expected points added and completion percentage over expectation, and all those kind of great advanced metrics that are taking over the game right now. And I wanted to ask you a few questions about things that I found just digging through the. And, and the first thing was just on Cam Newton. Obviously, we know that he had a really accurate day based off of CPOE coming out on the positive end of that spectrum. He obviously had a pretty efficient day in the box score stats with completion percentage and YPA. But I noticed that the Patriots are 27th in EPA for a passing offense, 27th, obviously, out of 32 teams. Can you explain that reasoning why Cam had such an accurate day, but it didn't kind of translate on the EPA scale? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to try to make this into an answer that's not long and boring, but basically, so the goal of EPA is to value what um the, give a value for what happens on every play. And when we have one week of data, then it, there's the scope for one play to have a huge swing in a team's EPA. And in the Patriots case, there's one play where Cam Newton completed a pass to a receiver who then fumbled out of the end zone. And in terms of EPA, that's a very, very negative play, and it happened on a pass play. So it like if we're counting what happened on Patriots' pass plays, then that's a very negative play. Now, if we're yeah. trying to say, was Cam Newton effective on this day, then obviously a receiver fumbling is not his fault. So um, when we have me- measures like QBR, which is um, ESPN's measure that's based on EPA, or uh, if we have uh, quarterbacks' EPA per play, um, those – do not penalize Cam Newton for that. So I, I think his QBR was like 80 out of 100 scale, and kind of in the measures that I put together, his EPA per play looked pretty good. So um, the, the Patriots passing EPA is not a reflection on Cam Newton. It's a reflection of Nikhil Harry fumbling one, one time out of the end zone. And in terms of, like, predictiveness of EPA going forward, there's, like, it's just a fluke play, and we, we wouldn't expect that to continue. So we shouldn't look at that number and say, oh, the Patriots passing offense is bad. It's just like a fluke play happened and we only have one game of data so far. Got it. So that that's a really good explanation for Patriots fans then because, 
you know, the Nikhil Harry fumble, just watching the game live, I mean, you can see the impact that it had. It was 14 to 3. The Patriots are heading in to hopefully go up 21 to 3. And a game of inches right there, he fumbles out of the back of the end zone. And then Miami comes and drives down and scores and gets the two point conversion. All of a sudden it went from 21 to 3 to 14 to 11, just like that. So you can definitely see just watching it live, even without all the advanced metrics, how that the whole game kind of swung on that one play. So that makes a ton of sense. The other question that I wanted to ask you about was the Patriots on the other end of the spectrum are the top rushing EPA offense after one week. But I think everybody's sort of asking the same question. And uh, Bill Belichick, I asked him myself this question, and he kind of scoffed at me in typical Belichick fashion. But Cam carries the ball 15 times. Is that sustainable? I mean, what, what do you think on that one, Ben? So that one you would definitely have a better idea than me. And it, it's almost kind of surprising that they would do that against the Dolphins because, like, if you were thinking strategically, like, the Dolphins are probably not very good. You're playing them at home. So it, it's probably kind of a gimme game. And if you had something up your sleeve like this, like, you, you'd think you would want to break it out against Seattle or something in a game that you're, like, that it's more likely to be contested. So maybe, like, the... This is, this is probably reading way too much into this, but maybe the fact that they're willing to do that against the Dolphins in the first game means that it's all systems go and this is just what they're going to be doing and what their offense is. But, uh, really, I have no idea. But the, yes, they're, they're rushing attack and not just Cam Newton, but even look at their running backs with the disclaimer that I have not had a chance to watch this game yet. But just looking at the stats, their, like their EPA per play and their success rate and everything was pretty good. So it, like in terms of rushing, they're, it, it, it seems like their rushing attack was very effective. Yeah, the explanation that Belichick gave me was pretty much that 11 of those plays that Cam was involved in as, as a quarterback keeper were read option plays. So he, they ran 11 read option type of plays, whether it was zone read or power read or whatever, and he kept it six times on those plays. He had seven design quarterback runs on top of that. So Belichick's argument was in other weeks, you know, this week Miami kind of welcomed him to run the football, right? And they kind of mm-hmm. crashed down on the running back, and they gave Cam the keep read over and over again. And he was kind of saying that in future weeks, maybe other teams will realize that they have to get the ball out of Cam's hands, and they'll want to hand it off, and he only run it a couple of times off of those, you know, read type of concepts. So he kind of puts the read option plays, Belichick, that is, in a separate category from the designed run plays, and kind of looks at it that way. And that was sort of his argument in his case to be made that, you know, it'll all be fine and that Cam isn't going to get hurt. But we'll see what happens. I think that's a little bit wishful thinking. The last one I wanted to get to you um, on this uh, topic, and then we're going to get into some plenty more game breakdown about Seahawks Pats, was the Patriots third down defense, just their insane run that they are on since the start of 2019. Their EPA is double the next closest opponent, uh, opponent, which I think is the Dallas Cowboys, the next closest defense, I should say, is almost double them or over double them at this point. I believe there are about 25% conversion rate against that defense right now since the start of 2019. I mean, how insane is this run right now that they're on? Yeah, they're, they were by far the best defense in the league last year, and one part of that was certainly getting off the field on third down. Um, the reason I started looking at this was because at a high level, we know that there's a lot of randomness in third down defense. So I was like trying to put together like measures of how lucky teams have been over time. But we know it, it, it's also silly to say that it's entirely random. Like we know that there's some skill in having good defense and others. Like for example, the Vikings always have a good third down defense. 
the Patriots have been on an insane run. So, like, we we probably shouldn't expect them to be as good as they were last year just because last year, like, I've never found a defense that allowed fewer third downs relative to expectation um, than the Patriots. So, like, that, that's probably not going to happen just because, like, nobody can do that. And also the Patriots lost some players. They probably won't play as many abjectly terrible quarterbacks this year as last year. Um, so, like, it, it probably won't be as good, but, yeah, last year, like, they were just so much better than any other defense at a great number of different things, including the third downs. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I thought the same thing. I, I said there's no way that this is sustainable from year to year, right, that they're going to carry this third down efficiency. Then in week one, they picked Fitzpatrick off twice on third down. They Miami converted four of 11, which is not terrible, but obviously not great either. And uh, it was clear that at least the scheming and the secondary was going to hold up. We'll see what happens with the personnel in the front seven and if they're able to hold up. But you get two more interceptions on third down in this game, and it's, is it, it's almost – crazy to say it but I, I kind of feel a little bit optimistic that maybe this is just the secondary is just as good maybe Belichick's just this good um but I don't think that they're gonna you know go on the insane run that they went in 2019 on third down but hey may, maybe it is possible that they can still be in the same ballpark you know who knows but that, that that was definitely one that when you look at the EPA chart on on your database like the Patriots are all the way up here and everybody else yep. is down here yep. so that, that, that was definitely one that definitely uh stood out to me all right we're going to take a quick break to shout out our friends at betonline.ag and then we are going to be right back with a full Seahawks Patriots preview The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get it in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures today. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we're back with Ben Baldwin of the Seattle Athletic, and we're going to break down what I think is the game of the week. It's obviously in the Sunday night slot, so I think the NFL agrees. It's Patriots-Seahawks in Seattle, hopefully, hopefully in Seattle. And then the uh, other disclaimer is that no 12s, right? So that's a huge kind of advantage for the Patriots. They didn't play at home last week, Ben, but just the fact that no 12s in the building for Seattle. Do you think that that changes the, the, the line at all? You know, do you think that that moves anything towards the Patriots? So I think it, do you know what the line is for this game? So it's at about four right now, which means that another shout out to betonline.ag. Uh, it's at about four right now, which means that this would be the first game. And I think 65 consecutive regular season games where the Patriots have not been favored. Yeah, that, that seems a little bit high, so I'm kind of operating under the assumption that home field advantage is either non-existent or very small when there's uh, no um, fans in the stands. And I actually had a piece on this a couple of weeks ago looking at what's happened in kind of these other post-restart situations, uh, including all these soccer leagues in Europe that restarted. And like it, it's absolutely the case that home field advantage is diminished when there's no fans in the stands. And in some leagues, we've seen it evaporate entirely. So um, the German Bundesliga is one example. Um, so, yeah, we, we know that a lot of 
what drives home field advantage is fans exerting pressure on referees in key situations, like yelling for a pass interference flag and, and things like that. Um, and without the fans there, it's just a different vibe and element in the game. So, like, even though the Patriots have to fly across the country, I would not, like, think of this as a classic road game. It, it's just totally different without fans in the stands. I agree. And, you know, last week, being at that game against Miami, it's just, you can't even describe it. It's like nothing you've ever been a part of, where you're in the stadium, there's all the juice from the players and from the team and from the media is all excited to be there for the opening week of the season. And then they go to kick off and there's just silence, <laughs> you know, just absolute silence from the entire stadium. And you can, it, the one cool aspect that was it as a, as a reporter was just that you could hear all the cadences on the field being called out. You know, you could hear the guys yelling. You could hear them chirping back and forth. I can't really repeat a lot of the things I said, <laughs> but you can hear a lot of it, right? And so that was cool. But in terms of, you know, they're just being utter silence the entire game other than what the players were actually saying and the energy the players were bringing themselves. And the one thing that Julian Edelman said coming right out of the tunnel, right on the sideline, was we need to bring our own energy. You know, mm-hmm. we can't really rely on the 65,000 people in the stands to kind of prop us up and I know that's a huge, huge thing for Seattle. But let's talk about some of the X and O's, some of the matchups here. Russell Wilson, I wrote to you in my kind of uh, you know show rundown here that he's a magician because that's the best way to describe him. The guy's magic, and the Seahawks are they finally allowing him to kind of demand the offense and let him throw the ball more, or do you believe Pete Carroll today that they're going to pull the reins back on, on that a little bit next week? Yeah, so that that's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to this game because I think that will tell us a lot about whether the Seahawks have kind of turned over a new leaf in their offensive philosophy. So I, I think there's a chance that um, they knew they are playing against the Falcons in that dome and that they would need to score a lot of points to win that game. And for that reason, they came out with a game plan of attacking the Falcons. The Falcons also have a terrible pass defense. Like there were receivers running free in the secondary the whole game. So it's, it's a lot easier to pass a lot in those situations. So... I think if we see the Seahawks continue to do that against the Patriots secondary with uh, the Patriots offense, probably a little bit less um, high octane perhaps than the Falcons, then I, I think that will be revealing about the Seahawks plans for the rest of the year. And I think there's certainly the potential for the Seahawks to try to play like they used to play with a grinded out game that's very low scoring basically how all of their games against Cam Newton have ever been. So it would kind of be familiar in that sense. So I, that's why I'm very interested to see how it unfolds. Absolutely. And I think the, the fascinating part about it to me is that we know now that Russell Wilson's the best player on the Seahawks and should be the guy that has the ball in his hands. And he threw it 35 times the last game and 65% of the time overall. And he threw for four touchdowns and, and lit it up, right? And, and that's what the Seattle offense probably should be. But in this matchup in particular, when you look at the Patriots front seven and the turnover that they have there, the fact that they're playing a lot of safeties down by the line of scrimmage too, you can almost see Pete Carroll and that staff talking themselves into a game plan that's very run heavy because of what they're going up against. But in a weird way, and, and this kind of gets into the numbers of it a little bit, I feel like Belichick's almost kind of tricking teams into thinking that, right? <laughs> you know, where he's saying, you know, here, look at my light box, you know, look at my safeties at linebacker, run it all over us. And then all of a sudden, you know, you realize that you're only going to score 20, 21 points doing that. Yeah, if I were Belichick, that would be absolutely the the plan. I, I would much rather have that than trying to cover both Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf 
at the same time, uh, if Russell Wilson is playing like he did on Sunday, because if, especially against DK Metcalf, if you, if he's on the outside and you have one-on-one coverage with no safety help, like it's just an impossible situation to put your cornerback into. And we saw like the one time that happened, they, Russell Wilson just threw it in an end zone and Metcalf had a very easy touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about DK Metcalf because I know a lot of people in New England are going to listen to this and roll their eyes and say, oh, we could have had DK Metcalf instead of Nikhil Harry. But here we are. And I, I think that DK, I had him as my top wide receiver in that draft because of his physical tools. But now all of a sudden he's starting to show some polish also, which is a really scary proposition for the rest of the NFL. Yeah, he's he really progressed as the season went along. Last year had a big uh, playoff game against the Eagles, which is kind of his like national coming out party. And then um, kept right back in it on, um, on Sunday. So, um, all, all signs are pointing up for him. I, I think the marriage between him and Russell Wilson is really good because Metcalf's like greatest strength is beating a cornerback at the line of scrimmage and just running really fast downfield in a straight line. And Russell Wilson's deep ball is so good that right. when Metcalf wins those battles, then the ball is going to, uh, arrive to him. So it's been fun to watch that pairing, uh, even last year when the Seahawks weren't throwing the ball that much. <laughs> Absolutely. And in 2016, uh, Bill Belichick, the Patriots defense didn't do a great job of containing Russell Wilson, to be honest. The, Wilson kind of had his way with the Patriots defense that day. But from what you've seen, when Wilson struggles, you know, what's the plan? You know, how do teams kind of attack him? How do they kind of keep, you know, keep him under wraps? Because he's just, you know, there are so many throws in that game against Atlanta where you just are like, I mean, come on, you know, what, what's the defense really supposed to do? I think that one against Tyler Lockett, uh, two Tyler Lockett on that yep. over route that he fit yep. between two guys with two guys in his face and he's like throwing off his back foot. I was just like, okay, just stop it. So uh, what, what, is, what do you see defenses do that, you know, kind of does at least give him some sort of trouble? So I, I think the, the primary focus, if I were the Patriots would be to get pressure on Russell Wilson and, I think it should be possible because there's three new starters on the Seahawks offensive line. So their, their center, right guard and right tackle are all new. And we saw, we saw them, um, there was a stunt where there was kind of a miscommunication and that was one of Wilson's sacks. Um, and on the very first play of the game, they called this, uh, naked bootleg rollout and just did not respect the third of the run at all. And, and the, they had another easy sack. So that would be like, my approach would be like to try to confuse the protections, make the offensive line and Russell Wilson think a lot, and then just kind of hope he's not <laughs> having one of his on days like he was on Sunday. Because if like if he's throwing the football like that, it, it's really hard for a defense. Right, and I think what makes him so crazy in the pocket to me is he's got like eyes in the back of his head. You know, where he can just, he can see pressure or sense pressure and slip out of it. He's so athletic and he's so strong that he can just kind of sneak his way in and out of the pressure. So I know for a fact that the Patriots are going to go with some sort of a contained mush rush type of situation. I do wonder if they run some things with maybe a two man stunt or maybe a blitz up the middle or something like that, that does put some pressure on him or confuse the, the front a little bit up front with the O line. And it does seem like every single time I talk to somebody from Seattle, that offensive line is a huge question mark. Yep. And I, I feel for Russell Wilson because he's so good that he really deserves to have better personnel there. But the one thing that I know Bill Belichick will be terrified of is Russell Wilson getting outside the pocket and then throwing down the field, you know, those broken plays. So I'm sure that they'll contain him and use the mush rush strategy and just kind of 
collapse the pocket around him instead of letting him run wild. But when it comes to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I'm fascinated to see how Belichick matches up in the secondary on all those guys. I think with Lockett, he'll probably be in the slot with John Jones for most of the game. But DK, I feel like he has kind of earned the respect that maybe he draws Stephon Gilmore in this one. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, DK usually lines up on the left side of the field and then kind of runs downfield a lot. I don't, I don't have a sense of how much Gilmore moves around or follows players, but the most of the time DK, since he's been drafted, has been kind of in the same location doing a lot of the same route types. And they late last season, they started to move him around and diversify a little bit, but it's been mostly just a handful of routes and, and maybe we'll see that expand as he grows into his career. Right. You know, I, I, that's a good point that he only lines up really in one spot because the Patriots do like to have Gilmore kind of follow people or shadow people, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, and he'll move it with it wherever that guy goes, whether it's inside the slot or outside on the boundary. So if DK is only going to stay in one spot, then maybe it will be JC Jackson with safety help over the top and Gilmore will go ahead and get, you know, one of the other guys. But I feel like it's, Really, you know, I I don't want to disrespect Philip Dorsett or David Moore or any of those guys, but to put a guy like that, uh, you know, Gilmore on a guy like that might be, you know, not the best use of him when you have somebody like DK who's absolutely dominant. On, on the other side of the ball, the one thing that really interested me from this game against Atlanta, and it sort of goes hand-in-hand with the passing game for Seattle, is they didn't play as much base defense as they usually do. I wonder if that's a little bit of Jamal Adams, you know, who's basically a linebacker. So in the stat sheet, it says that they had five DBs on the field, but one of them's Adams. So maybe it's kind of the same thing. But do you see them kind of changing up their scheme? Do you see them changing up the things that they do from the kind of standard Pete Carroll, you know, cover one, cover three type of system? So this is another interesting part of Sunday's game is that it'll it'll tell us more about the Seahawks' plans and how much of what happened in week one is just because they happened to play the Falcons. So the Falcons came out. Um, they have a lot of very good wide receivers. They had three different wide receivers who had 12 targets, so that gives you an idea of how often the Falcons were throwing the ball. Um, so the, the Seahawks were by far the, uh, the most frequent base defense team last year, but on Sunday they actually – played dime a decent amount and nickel most of the rest of the time, which is a huge departure from what they've done before. Some of that is uh, Marquise Blair, who the, their second round pick in 2019, um, who was drafted as a safety, but it's moved to nickel corner this year. So um, just by getting him on the field, they're, they're naturally in nickel rather than having that third linebacker on the field. And then for some pass plays, they took KJ Wright off the field, the weak side linebacker and put, uh, another safety, uh, Delano Hill on the field. So I'm guessing that will not be the game plan against the Patriots because they present a very, very different set of challenges than the Falcons. But the, like the, the encouraging part is they at least have the personnel to play nickel and even dime if they want to, which they really didn't last year. They just, they did not have a person that they trusted to play nickel cornerback. So they just kept three linebackers on the field the whole time. Right. And to put it in perspective for people, last year they were almost 70% of their snaps in a base defense, which <laughs> nowadays is just 
unheard of, right? And everybody's yep. playing nickel as their base nowadays. The Patriots even play some dime in their defensive packages with six DBs on the field. So to play that much base defense is very old school. And I know between that and the Seahawks running the football a lot, uh, us nerds, I, I'm going to put me and you in the same category <laughs> of nerds, uh, are not too happy with Pete Carroll over his overall strategy. I mean, how optimistic are you that this is a change in heart for Pete, or do you think that, you know, I agree that a lot of this might have just been because of who they were going up against in Atlanta? Yeah, so I think some of it was personnel-related last year. Like, they they liked their linebackers a lot more than whoever would have been the nickel corner, and when they did play nickel, they they were very bad at it. So I, I think Football Outsiders wrote about this, where they were they had by far the worst defensive DVOA with uh, in when they were in nickel and they were kind of middle of the pack in base defense. So like, it's not good that they did not bother to carry a third cornerback on their roster, but given the personnel they had last year, what they did made some sort of sense. And now, um, they traded for Quentin Dunbar over the off season. Um, and then they moved, uh, Marquise Blair to, uh, to safety. So they, they have many more options if they do want to play nickel, which uh, hopefully they will do more than they did last year. Although I'm not sure. Yeah. Like even if they're planning on doing nickel more in general, I'm not sure that Sunday will be the actual game to do that in. Right. I feel like this game is set up for Pete Carroll to revert back to his old ways and be happy about oh, yeah. it because the Patriots are going to come in here with, you know, three tight ends that are actually offensive linemen and Cam Newton, and they're going to run this, you know, Veer-style offense, and that's begging the Seahawks to put their linebackers back on the field and, and play out of their base defense. And then obviously on the other side of the ball, the strength is the secondary and the weakness is the front seven. So I'm really fascinated to see if Pete kind of tricks himself back into doing some of the old things that he used to do um, with this attack. And I wanted to also ask you, I mean, we know a lot about Jamal Adams obviously going up against him twice a year. He was dominant at times in this game against Atlanta. 12 tackles, he had a sack. Uh, what did you see from him and, and just his usage and the way that they're moving him around right now? Yeah, he, he was amazing. I hadn't really seen much of him because I like I don't usually see the Jets um, right. playing in the AFC East, and uh, I don't choose to go to my way to watch them uh, if, if if I'm not otherwise watching them, but... He was he was everything is advertised. He 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 flew around the field. He was in on so many plays and really was everywhere. I was skeptical about how much of an impact a safety who plays close to the box can really make, but like with his pass rush and coverage and against the run and just like he was in 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 and involved in so many plays and even like these these things I don't always believe in as a cold-hearted nerd like talking about energy and juice and firing up the defense like you can watch it and you can see the players react to him and it's just like it was really fun to watch and um, see him in a Seahawks uh, uniform. Absolutely and I think that that's something that people here with Cam Newton have sort of realized that his positive energy and his vibe and with Adams I, I you know obviously the plays around the line of scrimmage really stand out the sack that he had was a perfectly timed blitz came off the edge and, and really caught Matt Ryan completely by surprise. But I also think it's driving on the ball from underneath zones and into the flats and things like that. It's just incredible how he's able to click and close and react to those types of things. Uh, there's not very many guys that I can think of that close and react as well as Jamal Adams does on, let's say, a flat route or, you know, a, a tight end going out out into a, an out or a corner or something like that. 
watching Adams, you know, I, I know Gronk kind of had some moments where he got Adams, especially when Adams was a rookie, but he was by far probably the best guy that I've seen to go against Gronk and be able to physically handle it, you know, physically stand up to, to Gronk's size and Gronk's strength and all that kind of stuff. So we're very used to watching him torment the Patriots. Obviously the Jets, it didn't really matter with the <laughs> line too much in New York, but we're definitely used to Jamal Adams being an absolute problem. All right. So we know Bill Belichick is going to find a weakness. We talked a lot about the Seahawks strengths. I wanted to ask you, you know, the offensive line is one you pointed out. Where do you feel like the Seahawks defense or offense is vulnerable? The Falcons did throw for what, over 400 yards in that game, even though a lot of it, I think, came late in garbage time. Yeah. So that's, um, the offensive line is definitely one. And on, on the defense, like their, their pass coverage, and pass rush, which I guess pretty much covers everything in the pass game. Neither one really looked that impressive. So, like, we talked about Jamal Adams, and he's great, but there are so many plays where the, the Falcons dropped back and Matt Ryan had all day, and then he just he threw to Julio Jones, and the Seahawks didn't really have anybody who could cover him. Um, on on the, the left side of the field, um, the, the Seahawks kind of rotated uh, Quentin Dunbar and Trey Flowers, and... Uh, Quentin Dunbar had a very eventful offseason and like he had legal questions and then was out of training camp to attend to something else. So maybe it's just shaking off the rest or something, but he, like he really struggled and Trey Flowers was not very good last year or on Sunday. So like the, the Seahawks don't have a great set of cornerbacks, but on the other hand, I'm not sure if the Patriots have the wide receivers to actually exploit that. So like in terms of Patriots offense, I'm not. Like, I, my, my way of envisioning them scoring is them, like, running Cam a lot and trying to grind out drives and hoping that that's enough to outscore the Seahawks. Right. And I, I think that, you know, I, I like that strategy in general for the Patriots just because of their personnel, but it does scare me a little bit against Bobby Wagner and Adams and all, all these guys that the Seahawks do have in the front seven, but their secondary definitely looks a, a little weak and it, it comes to surprise to me because Pete's system in the back end is so sound. You know, everybody loves the, the Pete Carroll, you know, coverage system. And, uh, and to see, you know, the personnel there and they, he has, I think, played a little bit more like split safety and stuff like that to sort of change it up and spin the dial a little bit more because he doesn't have the great personnel back there anymore to just play one style of coverage and just dominate, you know, with Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas in the good old days. So I, I have seen him do a little bit more. Uh, I am curious though, because this is, you know, with the personnel that Seattle has in the secondary, if Nikhil Harry can't get going in this game and find some sort of a rhythm against these corners, then, you know, I think some of the rookie season struggles and some of the rookie season concerns kind of start to creep into this year for sure. Yeah, if if he can't get anything going um, against whoever's playing cornerback on on the the left side, then, yeah, that would that would definitely be a concern. And if if he can't, then it's it's hard to see where sustained offense for the Patriots might come from. And and that's not saying that the Seahawks defense is good because I don't think they are, but um, you, you you generally need some sort of receiving options to score points in this league. Absolutely. All right. The last question here I wanted to get, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I, wa- I wanted to ask you if there's one player who we don't talk about, not the, not the Wilsons, not the DK Metcalfs that are, that's on this team that is really shining week one, or you think it's kind of an under the radar type of player? 
Um, not in week one, but uh, Quandre Diggs was really impressive. Uh, the Seahawks traded for him uh, from the Lions for a fifth-round pick midseason last year, and the Seahawks' defense was much, much better um, after they acquired him. They they really struggled at the safety position last year, so they, they've gone from very bad safety play to Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, which is really exciting. He had a pretty quiet game on Sunday, but he's still uh, an exciting, fun player, and maybe he'll show up more uh, this coming week. Awesome. So, uh, Ben, do me a favor and tell people about your database and where they can find it. Because I, I, you just sent me the link the other day, and it is an awesome resource. I know a lot of people might not be familiar yet with some of the metrics on there, but they're they're going to be taking over football in terms of how we talk about football, I hope, very, very soon, and if they have not already. So just tell people what you're doing, because I, I think it's amazing that you're giving it away for free. That's just ridiculous. Like. <laughs> PFF charges like three hundred dollars, you know, a year for the same level of content. So, what, tell everybody where they can find it and what it's all about. Yeah, so kind of the the high level philosophy is that if you're going to tell people to use better stats, as I often do, then it's kind of lame to not point people in the direction of finding those stats. So, so basically, the goal is to make these. Stats like EPA per play or completion percentage over expected, things like that, more accessible to people who want to be able to look this up and talk about it or put that put it in their stories or just learn about their game, things like that. So um, kind of the main one is this stats page. Everything is hosted at uh, RBSDM, which stands for running backs don't matter dot com slash stats. And there's kind of a bunch of different apps where you can look up teams offensive and defensive epa per play or quarterbacks or um pass frequency uh, a bunch of stuff like that and and people have a lot of people have found that it's useful and it, it's been great to hear and uh hopefully it makes a very small difference in improving how we talk about the sport absolutely we can get less you know when the team carries the ball 20 times a game they win <laughs> next amount of the time or whatever i'm glad you brought up the running backs don't matter thing because i i completely forgot that that's that's your brand right there that's <laughs> That's your meat and potatoes. We got two teams right here with Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny, I know is on the pup list, but two running backs in the first round that probably didn't deserve to go in the first round. No, neither one. And they, they were both drafted before, uh, Nick Chubb, who's probably a lot better than them and Lamar Jackson, who like in hindsight, I bet the Patriots wish they had him right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, I won't relive that draft. You know, I had I had Sony and Nick Chubb. I kind of thought that that was a little bit of a toss-up at the time. They both had some injury concerns coming in. I was obviously very wrong. Nick Chubb should have been way ahead of both of those guys. But the Lamar Jackson one, I mean, that he was right there for the taking, right? And it was the perfect sort of segue from the Brady era into the new era. And we had kind of gotten inklings back then, actually, that the Patriots wanted to move more towards a mobile quarterback and away from kind of the pocket passer that Brady was. So I thought it was really lining up. And, and then, of course, a couple of years later, they, they signed Cam. So they definitely had that in their mind, but it, it just wasn't time yet, I don't, I don't think, for them. Uh, Belichick, I don't think, was ready to put a first-round pick on the roster at quarterback with Brady there. That They wanted to use the pick to help the team out right away instead of looking ahead to the future. But then they picked Sony Michelle and, <laughs> and the rest is history. So it is what it is. You know, I think these two teams are funny because they, they both – are obviously have a ton of success over the last decade and are really well run organizations, but they also make some draft picks that are head scratchers for their fan base. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's these two and the Packers that are probably the three winningest franchises of the 2010s, and all three of those franchises have had some very interesting draft picks in recent seasons, especially the, the Packers this, this past year. Absolutely. Well, Ben, I, I thank you so much for coming on. It's at Ben B. Baldwin on Twitter, correct? Yep, that's right, and thanks for having me. No problem, and uh, go ahead and read him on the Seattle Athletic as well. I'm sure he's got plenty of stuff up coming up about this game and after this game to get the Seattle spin. And here on Patriots Beat, we will be back next week to preview the Las Vegas Raiders. I hope I don't butcher that and say Oakland at some point. So the Las Vegas Raiders are coming to town to New England. Unfortunately, we don't get to go to Vegas yet, but that'll be for another time. But until then, signing off from my guest Ben Baldwin, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening.